What is up, K-Corner Podcast? How are we doing today? Welcome back to another episode, guys, as we are going to be following up on the Congress. Um, I got recommended this from work. I am planning on introducing some newer titles, some more recent releases. It's obviously been such a dry spell for movie releases, and I'm not going to jump fully back into the Marvel Cinematic Universe um, slowly. I I don't want to go through another 10 years to lead up to a big movie. That's not something that I necessarily want to get into. So I don't know how much of the, the Marvel franchise I'm going to be covering outside, obviously, of TV shows. The TV shows uh, are, are incredible. Loki is incredible. Maybe I'll review that uh, next week sometime. But the Congress, if you haven't watched it, I highly suggest it. Um, this is going to be, well, before you maybe go and watch it, I don't know if you're, most people are going to like this film. I think this is a film that is either you're going to enjoy it and really find some warmth to it, or you're going to think that this was a waste of, I think, almost two hours of your time. Now, for me, I like the live action and then animated shots that they gave us, and I thought it was a, a lot of fun in, in, in the world that they entered and kind of the whole entire vibe of it. Now, do I think that this was in masterfully done? I, I would say no. I think that there was some some gaps it, it, I don't think it really played to a uh, uh, regular audience. I think a regular audience, this is a movie that people could definitely walk out on, give up on it A too early, or B is just not their vibe at all. So if, if you are at all tearing this movie on and you have a negative reaction to it, I, I'm saying that that's a high possibility. So you have to go in with it knowing that you like these types of movies, and maybe, maybe you listen to this to see if you want to waste your time, but it's kind of like a crossover animation, what is the real world um, type movie, and it spends a lot of time where you're sitting there confused as a viewer, maybe not confused, but you're in the in-between on understanding the facts, understanding the world, and it all slowly unravels until the end, where I think at the end, the movie kind of takes a takes a good, true turn to things, but everything up before that was kind of uh, over-the-top um, live action uh, animated comedy that didn't necessarily play as as well as you maybe wanted it to. Um, so just breaking down, Robin Wright is playing Robin Wright, the person that was uh, Princess Buttercup and all those things. Uh, Paul Giamatti played Dr. Barker. Uh, Paul Giamatti is obviously uh, one of his more famous is uh, Big Fat Liar. Uh, John Hamm, Dylan Truliner, uh, who, it was only his voice, we didn't ever get to see his main character, but he was important in this. Um, Harvey Kettle as Ale, and then Danny Houston as Jeff Green. And I thought that this was a a fantastic um, kind of look into where we can possibly go. This is based off of 1973, um, I want to say Northern European, I don't remember exactly where it was, let me see if I can find it. 1971 Polish um, novel called the Futurological Congress. And basically what ends up happening in this uh, movie is that you have this main character, Robin Wright, who has been very difficult to work with for the last few years, right? And I, I think that I like this angle on failing actresses and Hollywood really taking uh, ownership of actresses. Obviously, this is going to be the next path forward for humans is that People aren't going to just own your content. They're not just going to be able to own, you know, parts of yourself. They're literally going to be able to own you. And in, in, in this instance, what ends up happening is that Robin Wright signs her rights away. 
to, you know, taking care of everything because they're going to scan her in and use a former picture of herself to basically have a digitized relief. And the only kind of catch on the contract that she was signing when she signed with Sway is that you can no longer do it. And if you've ever watched Bo Burnham, and I'm going to take this back for a second, but if you've ever watched Bo Burnham, he talks about how uh, entertainers are basically like narcissistic uh, people who want to be on stage and, and want to have people kind of around them, loving, adoring them. And it was always pretty incredible when you, they kind of poke fun at this from the side of Hollywood where they're like, yeah, if we ever stop them from being able to do it and they got as much money as possible and they paid these huge contracts and they made all this money, we, you know, they would probably all end up dying, which is what you see here is that later on into the movie, when they travel, um, they take a hallucinogenic drug that makes them in the animated zone, quote unquote, uh, when you see Robin, who's about to sign an extension on her contract, and then another dude who's obviously a depiction of Tom Cruise, but they can't say his name probably because they don't want to worry about rights or anything like that. And he's like, yeah, I was busy helping people in Scandinavia. Like, she's like, I'm taking care of my son. And for a lot of people, they had, they had nothing to do that, no, no really point of living anymore. And they all ended up killing themselves, and so they couldn't use, I'm sure there's all contracts to void them. But there's no one that could renew their contracts, and their contracts were only for 20 years. And so what ended up happening is that these two were basically the only people going forward that could uh, take on anything. The animated zone was a lot of fun. I think if you guys watch this movie, the animation is is really pure, really, really old school. But it, it has has some fun little moments to it. So an example of this is Robin Wright is uh, in her old classic, basically, she gets downloaded and then projected in the movies and they tell her everything to do robin wright um is in this movie called uh robots and something or other it's this robots revenge robin or something like that it's something dumb and goofy and sci-fi and what ends up happening is she's killing all these robots and all the robots that are part of the animated world are literally like turn around and look at her and are like showing ugly faces and it's just so goofy because it's like a cartoon pixelated world where these little little cleaning up robots little caretaker robots are uh you know being being dicks i i think that for the most part this film may get lost um on a lot of people i was honestly lost i ended up taking a, a pause in the middle of it and went to the gym and then came back um, just because it was kind of heavy to deal with. But there's a lot of hallucinogenics. If people are high and like enjoy getting high, there's a lot of fun old school. There's beautiful colors. There's beautiful animation style in the way that they kind of did it. But I think the storyline and the best part about this storyline is that Robin Wright uh, loves her son. And her son has a disease where she, he's going to go basically completely deaf, deaf and completely blind um, when he gets older because he suffers from this disease. And so her, the reason why she stayed alive and the reason why she continues to sign contracts is because <clears throat> of her son. And there's a revelation on what happened. <clears throat> so um, when she signed her first contract, 20 years, what they basically came out and said is, hey, this is going to change the world that we know it. We're going to be able to animate all these people. And it, it's going to be literally, it's going to take away jobs. Actors are no longer going to have anything. And that's why Robin did it. And then you fast forward 20 years later, she's going to sign a next contract. 
and Al, the same dude who talked to her in her last one, goes up to her and says, hey, we're going to be changing things. The landscape's going to be changing. And this whole entire the Congress summit, it basically leads to um, him saying like animators, people who are doing all these jobs um, and making film, they're no longer going to have a job because of this new drug that we're making. And it kind of drew an important distinction is that we use film and entertainment as escapism, right? I think we can all agree on it for good or for bad. We use uh, the entertainment that we consume as a way to avoid the real daily conflicts that we go through dealing with our parents. No, I'm going to turn on and listen to music till I can't to, you know, till I can't think about it anymore. I'm going to go turn on a movie. I'm going to go watch my comfort movie when I'm sad. I'm going to go eat ice cream and watch my favorite, you know, series. I'm going to read a book. And so we consume all this entertainment all the time to avoid the realities of the world. And these entertainers and producers and stuff like that will eventually lose their jobs once we get to a point where we don't need to escape reality. And so <clears throat> what we kind of figure out through the show is that the, the, the drugs that they're making and the hallucinogenics and, and the way that you can consume and be anything you ever want to be, it, it leads us to believe and, and, it, and it makes us kind of know that there's a step past where we're at right now and, and we're entering the, the next stage of the cliff. So... What, what do I kind of mean by that is when, when we understand what life is about and all this reality, um, Robin has lived in a detached world, right? She can't, she can't go out. She can't be anyone. She isn't even Robin Wright. Uh, she signs her life away, basically, on, on the acting portion. She comes back, and the next revelation she hears is that, well, we're not going to have acting anymore. It's basically going to be like people can consume you. People can take all this. And she has a stance against it. She's like, hey, I don't think this is a good idea. You know, people fight for the opportunities. We should all be who we are because reality can't be that bad. And then we have kind of what I think, in my opinion, is the worst part of this film. And it, it, it kind of distracts from the, the film's tone and nature. Uh, so the next part is basically a revolution that pops up um, in this animated world. Is all So what I was trying to say is the head of the Congress and the head of this whole entire group, which is what this movie is filmed after or named after, sorry, uh, He's basically, he's basically this fake depiction, right? And, and he's depicted as a Steve Jobs type of like, I'm going to change the world and we're going to live in the futuristic ecolo ecology where no one has to want for anything and we can be who we are, no ego. And he gets shot in the head. And what ends up happening is this whole entire world war breaks out. And that's when we run into this other character who's named Dylan Truliner. Uh... And he is an interesting guy because he's been the person that's been animating uh, Robin, Robin Wright this entire time in the real world. For the last 20 years, she, he's been animating her, and he feels like he loves her. And there's this whole entire thing where they're sitting as there's explosions going off overhead, as everyone's fighting upstairs and, and trying to kill each other. And they start learning about each other. And what ends up happening is that the Miramount police, so Miramount is like Miramax, and Paramount, so like two giant movie uh, conglomerates, end up finding her and taking her away. Um, they say that, hey, you said some treasonous stuff against us, why wouldn't you want Total Utopia? And then they take her out, and no one believing Robin when she wakes up from getting shot in the side of the head think that she's going crazy, and she actually spends 20 years frozen. And in those 20 years, um, 
she gets out and meets Dylan, and she wakes up to a no, whole new world. So the same uh, hallucinogenics that made her escape, right, let her into this world of no ego. And it was an interesting take. So what, what, what I kind of found interesting is she knew the world before. She knew the 20 years before everything that's happened, but she spent so much time away and so much time, you know, stationed and frozen, I guess, if you will, because they were worried about her mental health. And she comes out and she's been gone from her son for 20 years her son that was nearly deaf nearly blind and it kind of put a weird perspective on things because she just got thrown away like and no one told anyone and no one did anything because in this hallucinogenic and this sequestered world uh uh it, it's completely detached from the real world and you can't communicate back and forth and so she was basically stuck here for 20 years against her will and it can kind of talk about how small minute decisions and selling your soul away so quickly can kind of lead to huge ramifications because she kind of put her life and put her whole entire want into this world and what ended up happening is that the world trapped her and, and what i do want to say about this is you get a super fun part of the movie now and, and the animation's beautiful and you get hey there's no ego everyone's beautiful here they're basically just higher than a kite living in a world that is free of any you know pleasantries and, or sorry any any badities and everyone expresses their own joy and everyone knows who they are and they express themselves and they get forget who themselves in the real world are and they can live a, a pure and happy life because they can forget the reality, realities of the real, real world and she finds out that uh, Robin's, Robin's daughter uh, she had trans you know she had gone over Sarah Wright and he thought or she didn't you know wouldn't recognize her mother because of how long it's been and she would have lost herself and lost who she was and because of that Robin would never be able to find her even if she did find her she wouldn't be able to recognize either her daughter and the daughter wouldn't be able to recognize Robin and it was this interesting thing that they were like well at least she's still reproducing kids and kids are being born into this hallucinogenic pit where they won't know any pain and I thought that that was kind of interesting, I guess. And then we then we fast forward a little bit, and Dylan and Robin, their love kind of sparks, and it's weird. It's like she's much older than him, and, and he's this younger, he's probably in his mid-40s now, but she's probably in her 50s or 60s, but I guess if you freeze them and then you take into account of what they actually look like, maybe they're around the same age now. But the, the whole entire point, and, and what I really wanted to talk about is, is that because Robin was so true to herself and because Dylan could recognize who she was and was so closely related to who she was that he didn't forget himself and always was able to recognize her, which I thought was a fun spin. And then you get basically the red pill, blue pill, and he ends up having a pill that can take him back across the fold into the uh, fake world. And in doing so, he uh, Robin requests and says, hey, I, I, I want to go see my son. Oh, you have no idea if your son's even there. Oh, he would have never gone across the fold. And I thought that this was a powerful argument. And he's like, we don't know if you can come back. We don't know if you can even go there. We don't know what ends up happening if you wake up and you're dead. And it was this whole entire, but you can live in bliss here and we can do anything. And he said something like pretty interesting. He's like, yeah, I went through a Greek mythology 
phase, I fucked someone, you know, raped them. I, I, ha I gave birth to a whole entire city. I then fucked the entire city and then burned the city down. He's like, you can be anything. You can do anything. It's all in your mind. You can control your whole entire life. You have no pain. You have only pleasure. And you're just living in this dream state. And I was like, holy fuck. But being trapped in a dream state when you didn't intentionally go there was was the point of Robin. She's like, I never intended to stay here. I was intended to leave. And and now you're telling me that I can't leave and that I have to stay here and that it's because of you. And she ends up going back across, taking the pill from him. And he's like, you know that I'm trapped here forever, right? And I can never go back when you when you do that. She's like, yes, but if you truly love me, there's a little bit of manipulation. But the, the moment when she's talking to Paul Giamatti, Dr. Baker, about her son and about you know, he held out for as long as he could, but he was completely blind, completely deaf, and he had to go across. He, he, he you know, the, the kid took years and years waiting for his mother to return, sitting there, hoping and praying, even as condition got worse and worse and worse. And, and the mother, she never returned, regardless of whether it's for a good reason or a bad reason. And he, she breaks down and it's sad because Dr. Baker feels guilty for it because she he's, he's like if I would have saved out if I would have held out for this I, I, I could have I could have stopped this and I could have had a beautiful reunion and the, the problem is is that because of who uh, Aaron was and because he was this little kid uh, it's gonna be almost near impossible to find him because how can you find someone when they're going to lose themselves in their own identity. And there's a really unique thing that Dr. Baker said, and this is probably, this is where the movie got great. So I think if you look at the movie, the starting was kind of confusing. It was all right. The The first half was in the, in the whole entire hotel at the Congress scene was out, in my opinion, kind of bad almost. I, I didn't really like it. I think it played up upon itself too much. And then we get to the part where she goes back into the real world and her time with Dylan talking about how the world has changed, how all these drugs have let us live these ego-free lives where we can do and be anything we want. And then, you know, it, it goes into this reality where she's in this horrendous place where everyone's kind of just like moving along wide-eyed and everyone who lives lives in these, you know, giant sky planes basically and that's where where everyone is and that's where everyone who's still alive in reality and actually like doing stuff with their life lives and she it's this dirty nasty world which is like the red pill of hey you may wake up but you get woken up to the truth Dylan said that multiple times it's the truth out there and this is just the false reality we've overlaid upon it and back going back to the film industry is that the film industry doesn't give us truth it gives us our false you know our false facade that we lay upon it like this is what a good person is this is what a bad person is a good person will always do this your superheroes will always do this and it's this facade that we play upon because it makes us feel comfortable and it makes us feel good at night knowing those things so as she goes back in, into the real or into the fake world into the delusion basically into the chemically enhanced world um Dr. Baker says something important because she's like, well, will I be able to return? And she was worried about returning to Dylan. And like, she really fell in love with Dylan. I think she cared about Dylan. Hey, if I'm never going to be able to find my son, am I going to be able to at least see Dylan? And the doctor said something pretty incredible. He's like, no, 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 you don't understand. You aren't the same person you were when, when you 
last time you left. Last time you entered, I should say, you're a different person now because of this experience. And the place that you went to no longer exists because it was never real. It was just in your mind. And it was and it was running in your mind on part of who you were and what you are. It's a part of the conscious is displaying this image for you. And, and because of that, the past is gone. It's irreverent. You can only move forward with what you are. And I thought that that was very beautiful and very powerful is that sometimes we get lost in wanting to join back to where we were. And it's kind of this opinion where there's no place. You can't go backwards in time. You can't go back to a place and make a different decision. You can only move forward. And it, it creates two things in life. And this is whole my whole entire argument against mortality, right? Because if time's irrelevant, you can always generate the same situations again and make the right decision and therefore no decision has any weight is that each time you make a decision each time you make a choice whether it's to you know go to the gym eat 32 mcdoubles whatever it is is there's no going back to a point in time where you didn't make that decision and our conscious and in our lives and subconscious are all influenced and, and, and dictated by that and I think the real thing that makes this movie very, very good is the, the moments that lead up to this. And so she's like, do you know where you're going to go? Do you know what's going to happen? She's like, yes. And he's like, are you sure you want to go? And she's like, yeah. And what she ends up doing is she turns into Aaron. Aaron as a young boy, seeing all the moments and, and all the things. And you get a playback of his life and all the moments that she missed and the moments that she was there for him and seeing the big sister Sarah leave and then uh, seeing the mother go away one last time and sitting there and sitting there and living in that life and then going going through and kind of leaving this world behind. So Robin understands that going in and she lives her son's life through his eyes basically and it must it was a beautiful moment because you felt so so many different emotions running through you. You didn't know whether you're supposed to be like, oh, that, like, I feel bad for her, or oh, this is like almost the punishment for her. But I think for in her mind, it, it was kind of it was kind of incredible. And then at the end, you see Robin taking the capsule that will take her away from the real world from ever from his perspective. And the real beautiful thing about this is that. It, it leads to a point where you see Aaron and it's it's really Robin looking down at her son Aaron and he hasn't changed. He's still the same person and he's in the middle of a desert and she figured that if she lived the same life, it'd lead us to the same spot and it, it was really beautiful in the way that the film was circular and, you know, we were, we were looking at Robin in, in the entirety of the film, but it was actually Aaron that she did all of this for. Um, she loved him so much that she was like, his condition's getting worse, I need to be able to take care of him full time but still get paid, so I'm gonna sell my life away. And then I need to come back through animation. You're right, because she was confused, she didn't know how to get out, then she spent 20 years when everyone asked her to do that, and she, she got basically boned in those 20 years. It's not like she decided to stay, she got trapped there. So she was suspended in animation and Aaron couldn't hold out. And then she decided to live Aaron's life through in the real world. That way she could make it back to him again. Or at least like a visage of him, right? Because this is the whole entire point is like, is it actually him or is it like her visage that she created her whole entire world and her subconscious that would let 
Aaron be the same exact boy that she, you know, originally took there and stuff like that. But I think that this movie did a really good job of forewarning and letting us know that we can cover up and, and try to live in fear our whole entire lives. But the bonds that will never break, and, and this is the thing that the movie kind of gets at, is that she left this animated world so she could see her son. And then she re-enters a world where maybe she doesn't even like only for her son. And she doesn't use it to be like, okay, fuck my son. I'm going to go live the last end of my life, however long it is, in suspenseful bliss where I can go be a god of whatever I want and go live in reality for however long I want. But she chooses it to go and find her son, the son that she wanted to take care of, the son that she failed. And the more and more that we sequester ourselves into our little homes, into our little you know, pods of safety into watching the same content with the same types of tropes again and again and again. We find ourselves unable and, and sad, sadly, I should say, sadly unable to break out and understand why we should experience the real world. And if you guys have read Ready Player One, which I think I'm going to reread the book for a third or fourth time now and then watch the movie again. But Ready Player One does a good job at the end to kind of sum it up best is that the real world is scary and may not be where you like to live. And living in a false reality is this beautiful place. But at the end of the day, and, and, and truthfully, this at the end of the day, the real world is the only place where the things you do matter. And it's the only thing that can really take ground. You can't, you can't make a kid in this false reality. You can't, you can't change the world. You're just simply existing. And is existing in bliss a better life than going through the pain and torture to be able to get something out of it? And I think that's going to be the future generation question. Maybe not our generation, but maybe the people who are just getting born now. We're a little bit too spited to really be like, yeah, let's just live in this forest of fakeness. But we're also the people that are still going to Disneyland and still, you know, dressing up all the time when we're 30 years old because we can't get out of the reality of wanting to forget how shitty life is. And you want to remember that our, our childhood when things were simpler, when things were less, I guess, difficult. But the, the reality of <clears throat> all of this is that as, as our lives go forward, and maybe this is a product of people in our country specifically, let's just go there, is that there's no need for people to suffer, right? Like there's enough money, there's enough capabilities, is that if the government and local authorities and people cared, if they wanted to end things, they could, right? Like you don't want fat people, right? Overweight, obesity, people are dying from it. Not, hey, all the fat people are gonna kill, Let's stop selling sugary drinks. Let's stop doing this. Like they could create a sweetener and force no sugar in all of these things. People would lose weight. Hey, we're going to regulate your diet. Hey, we're going to do all these things. Hey, instead of giving up on kids when they get, you know, 18 different things, we send them to psychology, you know, or uh, to therapy and we, we help. There's enough money that kids shouldn't be going hungry at night. People throw away more food in this country than anywhere else in the world. Like, it's a choice that we're living in, and it's a choice to see the world as this hellscape, as reality that it always is, and it's so much easier to find yourself and fade away into this fake 
fake world because the fake world gives you everything that you ask. It, it, it plays with your brain and lets you know that, hey, it's okay. This is the dopamine rush you need. Hey, this is serotonin. This is everything that you kind of need to function at a high level. And it, it, again, like I said, I don't know if this is going to be our question, but there's going to come a point in time where they're going to decide that it's no longer worth people suffering. And something like this is going to happen is that they're going to choose to have a totalitarian society at some point, um, probably all over the world, maybe a one world government where no one suffers, but rule, law is rule and you can't like there's no choice. Right? There's no freedom. There, there's no ability to do things. There's no choice on not getting it or getting it. You, you know, you basically just get it. But what in the real reality of it all is, is that there's no free choice, but you're all safe. You're all happy. Even if it's a facade of fakeness and happiness, it, it, it's something that will happen sometime in our lifetime, I'm sure. Hopefully I'm either A, young enough so now to fight in it and actually do something to stop it, or I'm old enough that I don't give a fuck and they kill me off or send me to the space of happiness first. But there's going to come a point in time when we start playing with brain chemistry to put us in hallucinogenic states, and we get to live a beautiful, pure life where someone that's you know born in poverty, if they save up their money, they can live in ecstasy the rest of their life, and they don't have to suffer through the pain that they went through. And it's going to be a real moment in time where we decide whether doing that is the reason for humans to exist, right? Because I think we all search for why we do this. Why Why are we here? Why Why did I get born? Why not someone else? Why didn't you know, I die in a car crash like other kids my age did? Why didn't I get a heart sickness? Why did blah, 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 blah? Why, 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 why? And the, the purpose for some people is like, well, God gave this right. It's to do this, this, this. You know, you have religion to fall back onto. Some people are like, there's nothing and we're just animals that have two larger brains and we can think because fucking mushrooms 800 years ago increased our brain capacity to think like this. And then some other people is like, well, isn't it your duty to reproduce and, and do a job here on your earth to further our species and we need to look at it from a species way and we need to protect our species by stopping global warming and stopping this and maybe there's anything else out there, but we need to work to, to sustainability and that's what I want to trust my life to. And... All those things are good and grand, but all those things require suffering. All those things require hard work, and there's going to come a point in time where you cannot work, and it's just going to be a, a blissful life. You're just going to be able to do nothing and, and really just reap the rewards of living a, a peaceful, beautiful life similar to this film. I'm sure it's going to happen. You know, like heroin already kind of does that, right? And now if people got their hands on heroin, extracted it, made it so that uh, hey, we're going to dose the lower 30% of our population. We're going to make them sit here, you know, and, and not affect the world. And there's really only going to be need the people who manage that. And that's what our world is now is the people who manage and the people who don't. So, uh, I'm, I like this film. I gave it a B. I don't think it deserved an A tier because of the middle and first part of the film, but the ending really saved this film from being, a, in my opinion, kind of almost a disaster piece. But the, the beautifulness of the art style and, and the animation, I love that style of animation. I think that again and again we see new styles of animation coming through. And I don't think they can top how, how beautiful that looks, how, how pristine, crisp. And, and it, no, it makes your brain say, hey, they're not trying to make things realistic. They're just trying to make things uh in a different world look real to themselves 
and I thought it was a, a wonderful job on that aspect of it. I thought a lot of the visualizations were fun. I thought there was a lot of quirky and fun parts. I just didn't really like the whole entire Talitarian regime without more build-up to it, and I think it left a little bit to be desired in being more than itself. And what I mean by that is that it was kind of like worried about its own self as a film more so than pushing any true narrative forward and saying anything important. But this is going to be a reality. Eventually, uh, movie companies like Miramount and Paramax, no, Miramax and Paramount are going to start owning people. I mean, they probably have already have slaves in third world countries. Hopefully, they don't come and kill me for saying that. But they're going to be able to own people and own rights to people exclusively for lifetime contracts. And it's just something that's eventually going to happen. It's just the general way that you see things. You know, I always see sci-fi and and other types of movies that follow the same style, like dystopian, future, fantasy, whatever you want to call it. But there's some things that I'm like, eh, I don't think that's possible. But this is one of those possibilities where I'm like, yep, mm-hmm, yep, this could, this could be one of them. I thank you guys for listening. Honestly, I hope you guys look at the Congress. It, it was a fun film. Maybe it doesn't really spice your, your juice, if you will. Maybe it isn't your movie. But if you do like these type of movies where you're suspended thinking in disbelief, I think it's a pretty good movie. I would definitely watch it again. I probably will watch it again. I think on the few next times I watch it through, it's going to be even better and better. So with that being said, I'm going to wrap up this podcast. We are going to, going to be doing the NFC South, which I honestly think is going to be one of the worst divisions in all of football. I'm going to be talking about that tomorrow. Um, and then Saturday, Sunday, I'm not going to record anything. This is one of the first times that I got a full week uh, uploaded every day. Pretty clean, you know, fingers crossed for tomorrow, but I have no plans on doing anything else. And I just hope that I can bring you guys some continued great content and you guys can continue to support me. So thank you guys so much. You have a wonderful night. Uh, the corners have been painted. Peace out.